Here we are recording on a holiday. What's Do you a holiday? Observe Chongyang? I don't even know what it is. Chongyang is like where you go. Tom uh, sweeping. Yes, exactly. Look at you. You knew more than I thought you. But would. I, when I looked it up, it was some other name. It was like double zero double nine. No, it's or, called Chongyang. See, I don't know. I believe. Damn, this would be embarrassing if both of us are wrong. Um, so you fake ass Chinese people. You would go to the cemetery and sweep your ancestors' graves and put flowers down. I think it's a good reminder. Yeah. I mean, it is. I, I do feel there's a lot of ancestral-related holidays, right? Yes. You would say, like, a lot of things in Chinese culture throw back to their yes. ancestry stuff. Yeah. But here we are. Neither of us went to a cemetery today. Yeah, it's been tough. Like, I, I talked to my grandma the other day, and she's... Who's alive, by the way, just oh, for yeah, people yeah, to yeah. be clear. Yeah, yeah. So... She, I was just saying, oh, so I haven't had a chance to visit you. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's totally okay. Like, she was just like, just stay safe kind of yeah. thing. Interestingly enough, I never really did video calls with my grandma, but I started doing them more often. No, oh, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, I assume it's nice for her to see your face as well. Exactly. Yeah. Should we get going? Yes, let's do it. This is Making It Up, co-hosted by myself, Sharice Poon, and Eugene Can. We come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we are interested in, have questions about, want to get each other's thoughts on. Making It Up is produced by Makin, which is original storytelling at its purest through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals. Making It Up is an exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture. It's an opportunity to sound off on each other and make sense of the complex, intertwined world we live in. We try to come to some sort of conclusion in order to be helpful to you, our listeners, but really we are working through things and we appreciate you working through them with us. If you like what you hear and want to help us keep going, you can support us on patreon.com slash makin. Let's get into it. Okay. My subject this week is The Surprising Power of Color to Ease Quarantine Anxiety by Kyle Cheka. And the title is a bit of a misleading title because there is no actual verification in the article that color does ease quarantine anxiety. There's no scientific studies. No, there's no scientific studies. What the numbers do say is that people have picked different colors from last year, which I think makes sense that people are gravitating to different types of colors as a result of their life situation, being in quarantine, the midst of the pandemic, et cetera. But whether or not that's actually helping them with their anxiety and productivity, unknown. Can you explain the application of color? Is it the so linen in their body? Article, well, it could be linen, yeah. but this article in particular is about house paint. And the article comes from Art News. The author, Cheka, spoke to different house paint companies who all said, you know, business is really good for us. It's booming. Sales immediately went up once the pandemic started. And also interestingly enough, or interesting to me, is that people are picking different types of colors. I have never considered were. a color other than white. That is interesting. So I was going to ask you, because part of the reason I picked this subject is because Eugene and his wife moved recently, semi-recently. And every time I visit, literally every week I visit, something different has happened yes. in this flat. And it has been like evolving since the day you guys moved in. 
The walls are just white, though. Yeah, every wall, every I wall is white. Can't picture anything but white. So when we were looking for a new apartment, we did go to one spot that didn't have white walls. It was blue, and I don't know if it's because blue. Yeah, the whole thing was blue, and I don't know if that itself was because it wasn't like a. It was a very such a strong bold color of blue. Yeah. It was, it was kind of like a like a punchy blue, punch, not like a gray it, blue. No, it was pretty punchy. Yeah. Oh, so I was like, oh, I could never picture anything but white but also maybe it's on a philosophical tip where we're so used to i mean we as in like maybe our friend group or within this sort of quote-unquote culture we live in that you have artwork and the artwork itself is what provides personality and i know you mentioned i was actually i was in the room when you were talking to nicole and you're like oh it feels like a gallery in here yeah which actually wasn't the intention but now that I look back on what you said, it actually makes a lot of sense. But I meant it in a positive way. Like I didn't mean it in a clinical negative, doesn't look like I a never, way. Yeah, I never thought of it that Because that they way just either. got a new couch set. Sorry to fully describe Eugene's flat. They just got a new couch set, which I said reminds me of a gallery because of kind of its placement in the middle of the room and like the types of blocks. It's also it front back seating too. Which also, yeah, I think that helps make me think of it as gallery, but then also you have art on the wall and you also have a white wall that is perfect for projection, which is also very gallery-like for multimedia art. So I feel you in terms of like, I have also always just pictured where I live and always have lived in places with white walls. But if you were to repaint, if I forced you, could you pick a color? Well then- Pick one room. Here, let, let's go with- You wouldn't want an all black room though. Let's go with your, with your office. You wouldn't paint something all black, no, though. No, you would definitely. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's no other color I like, really. Other than white and black. Like, because I think it has to be a lighter color, yeah, right? Most so most too. rooms have to have a lighter color of paint, and I don't really like sort of past well pastels on the right. Yeah, I know. It's you more about like, like a Those lighter like color. Tones. Okay, fine. Like, if you were to do purple, I like purple, but a purple room, like it would have to be lilac. Yeah. It just doesn't look good. I could kind of, I feel like, so where I'm going with this is because I can understand the color choices that people made. So for example, there's this couple that was interviewed and originally they had a dining room that was a dark pink. They call it deep salmon, which is an interesting choice in itself. I'm I'm not here to judge it. But anyway, there's this dark pink dining room and they felt like it was too dark and they wanted to repaint. So they were going to go with a gray, but then also felt like that was too dark and blue looked too much like a bathroom. So they wound up with this light greenish blue. And it turns out actually, according to these paint companies that greenish blue colors are the most popular colors over these last couple of months. And those types of choices of colors or of blues and greens makes a lot of sense this year. So according to an independent designer and color expert for this paint company, he said, the gray is from the 20 teens. Everyone has pushed that as Everyone has pushed that aside. Browns and reds are out too. What we want on our walls now are blues and greens, organic neutrals, and a handful of bold pinks, yellows, and purples that Cone classifies as escapism. Actually, wait, I have to rephrase that. Okay, sorry. Uh, So according to this color expert and designer who works at a paint company, he says that gray is out and that's from the 20 teens and that what people want now are browns, reds, blues, greens, organic neutrals, and a handful of bold pinks, yellows, and purples. And the reason for this being is, quote from him, everyone is a bit upset. They want things clean. They're choosing positive colors, 
because when things are negative, you want to be out there with something positive. But that was his spin on it. But at what point would people choosing negative colors? And let's say, well, I, I mean, he calls them negative colors, but essentially, what it, their past sales they did really well with like grays and more dark, somber, color, somber colors. Yes, yeah, but I this year, nobody wants those grays and somber those like serious colors anymore i guess it's funny because like we're giving colors personalities but i think that's like what we have to do to talk about this yes i mean and it's also under the context of western culture yes because obviously yeah yeah it was very interesting because i was like looking at some charts for like some stocks or something and in general like green is positive yeah and like that means like a stock has risen in value and red is negative but in asia it's the reverse yeah yeah, yeah. So I had this conversation confusing. with my partner, which I think is really funny. Yeah, but it, you know, there's also piggybacks on something that also was published, I think, within the last week that talked about sort of maximalism within interior design, mm-hmm. which spoke to people's desire to have not like this super minimal stuff anymore. Yeah. This article kind of goes into it and there's another point that I was really interested in. So there's this like interior designer consultant who's had clients call them about redecorating their homes. And then besides, you know, painting and wall color, they're also asking for these kind of luxury details in their homes because she was saying that they're looking to create their own little universe that anything's possible. And as a result, they're looking for kind of details you would find in a hotel like USB ports in drawers or these like recessed lights kind of details. And the idea is that according to this author, that you can trick yourself into your home being this new space, being this unfamiliar space. Yeah. I guess it's all in line with, I guess it's all in line with how people are looking at redesigning their spaces really. Right. Cause I guess from the sounds of it, a lot of people are undergoing home renovations, spending more money on furniture, office chairs etc yeah well i didn't really say the context because i felt like maybe the context is really obvious but yeah. the context is that a lot of non-essential workers are still working from home yeah. everyone who is lucky enough to be employed and have a work from home situation their home has become their office and their home yep and so the, most people who don't have a set up office have to convert some part of their existing home into a work yeah. setting Whatever that is. And actually what's interesting is both you and I moved this year. Yeah. And we were lucky in a way because in the process of moving, we got to think about having that office space. Yes. So we got to start from zero in a way, like when we picked the new space as opposed to like working with the existing location. I guess for me, uh, the thing I was thinking about was in what capacity is there an actual push? For let's say recessed lights as part of design, or it's just part of a trend that just aligned. Because I, you know, this anecdotal because like these are recessed lights. Sure, I'm like pointing to the roof right now. Yeah, there's recessed lights, and but there's also like external fixtures as well. So I was just curious because obviously this was designed well before the well, pandemic. I mean, kind of similar to when we talked about city quitting, it can be an existing trend that got accelerated as a result of the pandemic, like something that was beginning, but then really picked up pace because it linked into other feelings of not getting to travel, of being in the same space for a long time. I think what's 
interesting to me is, I guess the bigger picture of this subject is how a location can subconsciously affect you over time. So there are things that I think are very, very obviously affect you when you're working. And we've talked about this on the podcast, your previous flat, you didn't have a desk. You sat on your sofa with your laptop on your lap and worked like that. And so very obviously, like your back and your neck and your shoulders are going to hurt. I think that's an obvious thing that you can do and then realize. But I guess I wonder, is there some kind of subconscious effect on you of, you know, the sun coming in from a certain angle or your sofa and your walls being certain colors? Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like same as you, there's not a lot of color in my flat. It's mostly white. But isn't the color imparted through the objects within? Yeah. Because I would say that in general, the my fashion sense and my the sort of underlying design of my home is different, or what I like anyways, is different than how I would present myself personally. Mm-hmm. But then it doesn't mean that all the work on the wall is like black and white. Like Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have art on the walls. Yeah. But I don't have like a, even as someone in the creative industry, I don't have this like very good grasp of like, oh, I'm going to pick this color table or this color rug and it's going to have a certain effect on me. I feel like I think of it as a very aesthetic choice. Like I can picture how the room is going to look and is the room going to look good, you know, when I just stand in it and sort of judge it aesthetically. But I, can't really say if I picked a different rug or a different table, then I'm going to feel different in this space. Yeah. Yeah. But I believe it to be true at the same time. Yeah. 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 It's one of those things that until you undergo and try it out, then I I think it's just like a theory. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not that hard. It's like, you know, maybe it's your one gift away because, you know, Sharice got me a home warming gift. And it was like a really bright rug. And yeah. I'm like, oh, like this actually changes. Like, and it's very noticeable too. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost, I would not, never go to the lanes of painting my walls. Even though this article says it's an easy thing to do. I don't, I actually think there's quite a bit of investment in repainting a wall. I would be curious of like that experiment of what it's like, like that house you didn't get, like the blue flat what would it be like to like work in that blue flat and would, oh, you know, after two weeks, would you feel different, yeah. worse or better? Yeah. Yeah. I just had one more kind of anecdotal comment, which was the only thing I knew, this is not related to colors, but it is related to workspaces. The thing I definitely knew about the workspace I picked is it had to have a window in front of me or like immediately next to me. Because mm-hmm. I have somehow learned this over time is that I work much better when I'm not closed off like you are in your office, but when there's a window that I can look through. Yeah, it's definitely different. It's one thing for you to be able to look outside and just look at something. Yeah. Um, So knowing that there is a little bit of theory behind this, will this influence how you look at furnishing your home? I am curious in the color theory part. Like there's some other people I didn't quote, but there are other people in this article who all agreed with one another that green and blue are colors that make you feel stable, calm, and less anxious. And I don't know if it's pop science or not. These people are all in the paint business. So they're not necessarily like scientists, but they also 
are referencing studies, I guess, of the effect of color. And that is intriguing to me. Like, I wouldn't paint the walls, but I do think it's convincing enough that I would, I don't know, like you'd buy like blue sheets, for yeah. example, or like a shower curtain or I, something I feel like, like that. Like- exploration through non-permanent things yeah is more the thing yeah like even for myself i i hard like I, my, my my wardrobe is 99 percent black right and i i don't know if i've ever had that inkling to like just oh let me get one piece of color because i feel like maybe i'm just too invested in just this aesthetic but i think wardrobe is very different because wardrobe becomes about personal identity and representation and i think but don't you think this is no i think this is different? about space like the space yeah. you're in and for example your curtains are blue yeah so if you close your curtains there would be some kind of like color effect of that wall of blue and i think there is a difference in the way you associate with what you're wearing versus your surroundings and the really obvious like pop science connection between why blue and green and popular is popular is because it's like the outdoors yeah and we can't be outside yeah as much well relatively speaking. relatively speaking so it makes sense that you're bringing it indoors yeah should we move on let's do it All right, my topic this week is great ideas are yours to steal. So this is a mismatch of a bunch of different stories, links that all revolve around the idea of how to find innovation from different industries and different places. So the initial title, I guess you could say, is borrowed from an article by Bob Roteblade, who this is his title that he's assigned himself, one of the foremost authorities on innovation and disruption. And within this piece, Great Ideas Are Yours to Steal, he leads off with this idea of borrow and bend. And what he means by that is one of the best ways to make breakthrough improvements at your own organization is to borrow ideas from other industries and disciplines, then bend those ideas to fit your needs. So in short, that would be if Sharice and I are photographers, we would look into say, the world of sports and utilize things there that work for them in terms of, let's say, like onboarding somebody. And you, then you frequently look I at sports. Do a lot actually now. And I don't know if this was a subconscious thing to gravitate towards this because I do feel there's a certain things. But to that point, I also think that they go hand in hand. Like, I mean, you've kind of opened up this, this tangent here, but recently started uh, with a bunch of, well, yeah, like myself and a bunch of friends started taking this Sunday team more seriously, which mm-hmm. meant like a, a higher league. Um, there's a certain level, level of professionalism that came with it, right? And I found myself applying certain elements from just running a business towards running a soccer team. Oh, that's interesting. Wait, that's yeah. the reverse. It's the reverse. So I actually think they're, used to do, I think they're actually of. both quite circular and synergistic. Oh, interesting. So for example, the reason I bring this up is that in the first few games of the season that I, I haven't really been able to go because of other commitments. But because this team is at a certain level and they're just trying to like find their bearings in this new league, someone like myself might be able to go in who's, you know, played football my whole life or played at whatever level and be like, hey, 
hey, we should go in and do these five things. But the reality of the situation is that because not everyone has the same, I don't want to say appetite, but the same baseline mm. in terms of incorporating this, you actually might need to be almost more prescriptive and almost treat like a startup where, hey, we need to make changes as quickly as possible. What's the cheapest, fastest fix with the greatest potential upside? Sure. So don't try to work on the, the mini details because you need to actually invest all your time and effort into like, I don't know, communicating more. And that will hopefully set off a chain reaction to other things. Right? Yeah. So it is pretty interesting. That in is that interesting. Uh, but to go on, Ropeblade goes on to highlight a few examples from history, including how the Wright brothers, who invented the airplane, uh, how they researched kites, hand gliders, birds, and bolt propellers. Mm. And he also looks at Henry Ford's approach towards, you know, the assembly line. And he borrowed that stuff from meatpacking. So yeah. basically, you know, atomizing tasks, separating them. And then more recently, also another car one. A surgery room hit up Ferrari to gain insight into how their F1 pit stop process works. So this was this was an attempt by them to improve their handover procedures. Mm -hmm. So between surgeons, I'm laughing because anesthesiologists. That's very good pronunciation. Anesthesiologists. Uh, so basically, there's a lot of things that I were think specifically. Similar. Sorry to add in some detail. There was a hospital that wanted to improve their handover in process the surgery room. from the operating room to the ICU. So it's like post-surgery mm -hmm. going back to the ICU. So they identified, we know that this process could be better, but we're somehow taking on a lot of risk with the way we're doing things right now. And, you know, this whole thing around finding inspiration all, all around you, I think actually Mother Nature is a great place mm. because when it comes to engineering new materials, they'll look at Oh, for example, how does um, a mollusk shell, you know, work? Or this, you know, spider and silk is a great example. Like, how yeah. do you engineer a fabric out of spider silk because it's so powerful relative to its weight? So, those it's are like true. really interesting ways of looking at innovation. Well, I'm also just thinking, I know we're talking about innovation, but I'm also just thinking about how, you know, when you're a kid, a lot of kind of fables or children's stories actually use the way animals behave mm -hmm. as kind of the metaphor for humans and like the worker ant you know like how the ants all work together to get food for the colony and then that's i guess in a children's story lesson is supposed to teach you about yeah. how society works together sorry that's like the that's like the kindergarten version of what you're talking about, but I was just reminded of that. Yeah. So actually, this is all around us, this idea of like borrowing from things that we wouldn't think are obvious. Yeah. So Roblay goes on to suggest three ways of finding creative solutions. Number one, broadly define your challenge. Number two, search out the, search out the various ways others have solved that broad challenge. And number three, one of those solutions may directly solve your specific challenge, or you may have to use parts of several disparate ideas as building blocks for constructing a new solution to your unique situation. Mm. And I also like this. I also like this insight that he gave. Many strokes of genius are nothing more than recycled versions of commonplace ideas from outside your normal circle, right? Yeah. And and also, don't you think that that takes actually a lot of pressure off of people? Like you don't have to come up with like 
a completely original yes. stroke of genius that is the only possible answer to your problem. Yeah. Actually, a solution can exist somewhere and you just modify it to I mean, fit or it already fits wholesale. We've spoken about this before because it's about relevance, right? In some ways, art speaks to some of the core pillars of society and culture, mm. but it's just done in a way that's relevant for the audience that it's presented to. So identity is something that we talk about a lot and someone tomorrow and in five years will also talk about identity and it's always shifting and changing, right? It's true. In the closing few paragraphs, Roblate also goes on to say, there's no need to reinvent the wheel, just repurpose it. If someone has a good solution, borrow it and make it your own. And it's one of his last quotes that I really like is uh, from French filmmaker Jean-Luc Godard. I swear we've like referenced them before too in a quote. It's very likely. Yeah. It's not where you take things from, it's where you take them to. Mm. So the reason why I found this so interesting is that in, in many ways, like at Megan, we discuss sort of the broad idea of creativity. And for us, a lot of it comes down to finding these unexpected connections, right? Yeah. You're, you have a smirk on your face. But I'm I think, smiling because I knew you were going to say unexpected connections. Yes. Because obviously that's what we would say at this point in time yeah. unexpected connections for everyone who doesn't know is the name of the conference series that macon and Intertrend put on in 2018 and then again this summer virtually and eugene came up with the i did not you did not i'm glad you brought this up because i was gonna give a shout out to zach bard who uh, he's the one that came up with this and he was like basically as we were trying to encapsulate what creativity was it's like oh it's like unexpected connections I did not know yeah. that origin story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks to Zach. Yeah. Um, we can, we've been using this definition of creativity. Since pretty much the beginning. Yeah. As unexpected connections, which is what this subject is about, really about making connections between points that you didn't think could be connected. Yeah. And what I think is like kind of a, an, ancillary thing to this whole way of thinking is just also pushing yourself to look elsewhere because mm -hmm. i think that's the one thing you also lose a lot is when you're all confined to the same few sort of quote-unquote experts in your field that all do and think and talk to the same people like it's you're gonna have a very a very narrow scope on solutions yeah yeah that's really true because I, I think that when I look at this, I'm, this is, I don't know if it's my personality or just the way that I've approached things. Like I, anytime I find something somewhat interesting that is outside my realm, like, and this is sort of both discussion around algorithms, how you find new things, how you get inspired, like having a very vast net of things that you can subconsciously reference down the line. Like I might look at something that I might not reference until maybe seven months later and yeah. an appropriate time or conversation comes up right and it's just like an interesting way of a, of approaching problem solving because ultimately when you run whether a business or you're an artist you're a creative like you're really in the business of solving problems right you're solving a problem around communication this. right and yeah. i think that's something that's really fascinating and you know that's one, one thing you lose in an algorithmically driven world is that you don't have access to these adjacent industries because you might not even know to look there you have to intentionally go looking. Whereas maybe in a pre-algorithmic world, we just came across things. A little bit more organically. Yeah, you know. it was just part of our lives. One thing that I think about as well, 
is that I think excellence, I, I feel like I need to put that in quotation marks, but I guess I just mean like maybe it's a subjective view of excellence, but like excellence in your own field might be difficult to draw inspiration from or to find the solution to your problem because it's like too close to what you're doing. Yeah. And so it becomes like, instead of borrowing an idea and bending it to fit your problem, it's like copying and that just recreates an existing thing. And that's like not what you want to do yeah. with your specific problem. Whereas when you look outside of it, you do that additional leap in your mind of thinking about what of this solution fits with what I have. And so it results in something looking different. And that's why looking at your own industry examples often just like you said, it's just, it just repeats what exists out there. Yeah. Yeah. And what I think is really interesting about these surgeons um, tapping Ferrari about the F1 pit stop that I think we can learn from is that that F1 pit stop process is so obviously superior, you know, like it, it is obvious to people who don't drive or who not, who are not F1 that they've done some really great work in honing their pit stop process. Yeah. So it, it's like, this is clearly really good work. What of it can we apply to us? And so I think maybe that's the starting point for people who don't know where to look, yeah. you know, because we've said a lot of different places you can look. Maybe it's just identifying something not in your industry and what you do that you can tell like this is really well done. Yeah. yeah. I do like looking at things like that as signals, right? If you see something that is reputable and they've done it for a long time or they just have some sort of way of showcasing that this in itself is part of like a, a stress tested type environment mm. that it allows you to cut through some of your own need to sort of vet it. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying this like in terms of like, oh, you're going to steal Ferrari's R&D, but it's on display for everybody, right? Yeah. And so. also, like I said, it's not really, I mean, it's stealing, but you're not Ferrari, you're not a Ferrari competitor. Yeah. So whatever you do with that information is going to look different. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, back to my original uh, mention about like, you know, helping out with a soccer football yeah, team, sure. right? I, I always look at the world of creativity as a way, a, a, as a place where you sometimes need to question what are the processes that are going on right now that could be done better. And I do think there's a lot of it that that needs to be improved upon. Like, I think most pertinently, you know, you could look at like a corporate and be like, oh, there's so much bureaucracy. But I think there's certain things that you could probably glean off of that from like feedback, how they handle feedback, how they action feedback. Because I've been in instances where you're doing client work and if you don't communicate properly feedback and or you don't build in a system for the counterparty to give feedback or know what to give, mm -hmm. then you're kind of playing this massive gray space. So that'd be like one one place, I think. And even like, you know, the world of creativity does a pretty good job at building community. So how do you take that and build it into some other thing that is non-creative, right? Like everyone's kind of trying, trying to build this quote-unquote community, but what does community look like for your soccer team, right? Or what does it look like when you are, I don't know, a drug company or your, your tech company or whatever, right? So all these things are, are definitely opportunities for things to jump off from one another or to reference one another. Like the the one thing that I see myself, you know, we we talked about Reddit, I think last week. But what is nice about Reddit is that the popularity element of it 
is a little bit more accessible in terms of what's a popular post that is a little bit different because I think when you go to other social media platforms, they don't really have that same level of ranking because it's Mm -hmm. more based off of like who I follow and it's building a profile of content versus Reddit. It's like, this is, I mean, obviously it's algorithmically driven, but there's something in the popular tab that is popular for whatever reason. And I may have never known about it. Right. You know, you know, I was looking at something within the realm of like science or something, science subreddit, and it was talking about 3D printed biotech. And yeah. I was like, oh, like I, I probably would have never really come across that. And that's like what I find so interesting and fascinating about Reddit is that there's a lot of people from all walks of life. If you want to talk to people all on the political spectrum, whatever it may be from different industries, they're actually super accessible. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that you believe every comment, but I'm just saying, like, no, I in agree. Certain, in certain realms, like, it's actually, actually really I agree. I agree. I mean, Reddit has its, Faults. I don't know what to call it. I mean, that's not what I was about to say. Reddit has this subreddit called Ask Reddit, which is, I think, Reddit driven, like, as in by the company. Mm-hmm. But Ask Reddit's kind of great because it's literally like questions from all over the place about any kind of t- topics. So, I agree with what you're saying in terms of like it's a real mishmash of everything out there as opposed to I think I mean Instagram's an easy one to hate on where it's like you follow certain things or you just click enough on one thing and then you get fed that for a very long time yeah Yeah. and it's hard to break out of that even if you want to yeah yeah it's hard to hit a reset on it I think what I was also thinking about in terms of again that surgery room Ferrari relationship is you might find an unexpected connection as an individual, but if you're part of a team, you also have to be convincing in terms of why this works for your team. Yeah. Or just be able to articulate why this is at least worth the investigation of looking at, even if it doesn't go into action. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, it's one thing to find a solution, but it's also one thing to to have the philosophy or the the group unity to seek out solutions and to make things better right because i don't think everyone is necessarily cut from that cloth or or trying to make things better and that's not a knock it's like i actually think it's part of a certain culture within within a company a team hey like call someone out on their bullshit oh you know what like that's something i think actually is 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 maybe comes before seeking innovation because if you don't have an innovation first environment, then you probably won't even seek this out. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I often think that people's idea of better is different as well. You have to be on the same page in terms of what your metric for better is. Mm-hmm. And that's that's true in so many different relationships. We don't have to talk about big companies. I think even your football team, like there's a different between like what are, is better winning the championship or is better something else everyone having know? fun yeah yeah everyone things, having yeah. fun it could be a lot of things so i mean you might all try to be better in general i believe that people are trying to be better i guess i have faith in people in that way but i do think that a lot of people's idea of better is different yeah so yeah, yeah. good place to wrap things up yeah that's a good place to cap things off for the day. If you are interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories, books on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at macon.com, M-A-E-K-A-N.com. 
You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by sharing this podcast with a friend or supporting us via patreon.com slash Macon. Also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at Charisse at Macon.com, C-H-A-R-I-S, and Eugene at Macon.com, E-U-G-E-N-E. We love hearing from you. I'm Eugene. I'm Charisse. And this is Making It Up. <laughs>